From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Bracely, presented by a Cloud Guru, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. As much as we love to, you know, dig into new technologies, dig into new startups, uh, sometimes it's always just good to to talk to the people who are really insiders in, into what's going on uh, in Silicon Valley um, and people that are really starting to look at uh, not only the technology but the business models behind these technologies and figure out uh, where trends are going, what's going to be viable, um, and maybe you know dig into some things that, that maybe aren't available on the surface uh, as easily as we might want to. So very excited to have an old friend of the show. Uh, good to have him back on the show, Joseph Jacks, who. I always like to call you know one of my favorite Silicon Valley insiders, uh, Joseph JJ. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me again, Brian. You do a lot of different things. We've known each other for a while. Um, you do a lot of different things. Give folks real quick just a little bit of your background. Maybe um, you know starting from kind of when we met uh, back in the days when you were just uh, you know digging in with with Kubernetes and starting a company in that space and starting KubeCon and that sort of stuff. And then give folks a sense of what you're working on these days or the areas you're you're kind of exploring. Sure. Yeah. So first, uh, it's it's great to be back on the show. I'm a huge fan of of the Cloudcast. You guys have been doing uh, an awesome job covering cloud computing as a trend and a massive movement over the last gosh, how many years has it been? Is it like almost ten years you've been running the show? Yeah, seven or eight years. So yeah, it's been quite a while. Wow, that, that's amazing. So uh, honored to be back on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been pretty heavily involved in the Kubernetes project since uh, since since actually a little bit before it came out. I got really excited about it, and then. I was at Mesosphere, um, uh, started the first company around Kubernetes uh, called Kismatic, which was uh, late 2014, a uh, little bit after the project was released. And through that, um, got, got, to, got to help a bunch of companies and sort of uh, participate in some of the, the community and ecosystem um, developments around Kubernetes early on. I started the conference around Kubernetes, KubeCon, which is uh, sort of a, a stroke of luck, I guess, and um, you, you know, there was a conference for Go and Mesos and Cloud Foundry, and it was sort of like, oh, there should be a conference for this really cool project called Kubernetes. That ended up getting donated to the Linux Foundation's CNCF when the CNCF was formed, um, sh- shortly after it was formed. And yeah, it's been sort of involved in that. Um, Kismatic was acquired by a company called Prenda, one of the very early first um, .NET-based uh, platform as a service vendors. Interesting history there. After after staying at Apprenda for for a little over a year, uh, working on product um, and uh, and and uh, uh, technology related things, I uh, I joined a Quantum Corporation, which is a storage company up in Seattle, and I was an entrepreneur in residence there, helping uh, with a project called Rook, uh, Rook like the like the chess piece. Uh, yep. It's a storage orchestration sort of layer for um, distributed file system, block object file storage, and, and databases, message queues, different uh, storage services on Kubernetes, takes advantage of a lot of the Kubernetes extensibility primitives uh, for, for sort of deeply integrating um, stateful workloads um, on, on Kubernetes and orchestrating the lifecycle of those services. Uh, there was a company spun up around, uh, around Rook and also f- focused on multi-cloud Kubernetes uh, late last year. Uh, that I helped with. Um, and then, so I've been advising a few companies as well. I'm working on my own startup and uh, we're, we're coming out of stealth pretty soon. Um, 
And I do a few other things, but I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about the Kubernetes project naturally. Uh, and then recently, uh, I've been writing a lot about a topic I'm super passionate about, which is this kind of idea of commercial open source software. Um, I think something that doesn't really get enough attention in the industry. And um, so I'm, I'm trying to my best to write a blog post every week. I've missed the last couple of weeks, uh, which is not a great start because I've only been writing for about a month and a half. But I'm dropping three new posts this week to catch up and pay my dues um, for being a slacker. But uh, that's that's basically my like the last few years of my life in a nutshell. Yeah, no, it's it's good. Normally, um, you know, we would typically have you on because, like you said, you're um, you know you're working on a startup. It's it's going to come out. There's going to be some cool new technologies. But uh, putting that to the side because, like you said, still in stealth, got a little ways to to go to get it out the door. We thought we would talk to you a little bit about um, all this kind of research, not just not just opinion things you're doing, but really kind of research and and a bunch of things around trying to understand what open source means in a commercial software sense and, and what it means in terms of revenue, what it means in terms of trends. And before you kind of got on this, this latest thing about writing about it, um, you've been tracking it. And I know a number of people have been kind of following this Google spreadsheet you have, but you've kind of now given it a name. Um, you're calling it the commercial open source software company information or cozy index. Um, so talk about, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. People can go take a look at it. Really it's it's a whole bunch of companies that open source is at their core, uh, but they're commercial companies uh, in various stages from IPO to hit, you know, been in the market a while. But how did you go about collecting all this information? Um, a lot of it's not necessarily public. Talk about kind of how you, you put all this stuff together. Yeah. So, I mean, the origin, the origin story behind the cozy index, as I call it, because it's too many words saying commercial open source software company index. So I just came up with a cute little nickname for it. Um, was actually about four years ago, I started managing a little spreadsheet privately. Uh, maybe there were like five or six companies on it at the time. And I was sort of like, you know, are there, are there really more than like one or two companies, um, that have built significant businesses around open source software? It's sort of beyond Red Hat and Cloudera maybe. And, you know, I realized that there, there actually, there actually were at the time, uh, more than just a couple, and there there were like a good handful, five five or six, um, might have even been ten at that point. So I, I sort of put together like a, a a spreadsheet of five or six different data points. You know, when was the company founded? How much venture capital had had the company raised? How many employees? What was the space they were in? Sort sort of stuff like this. Very rudimentary kind of um, uh, uh, you know structured way of looking at this. And um, a, about a year later, I, I got into this Twitter thread with Derek Collison, who's the, the founder of uh, Cloud Foundry, and he's, he's been a huge open source contributor and, and entrepreneur, uh, as well as Luke Caney's, who is the creator and founder of Puppet, uh, Puppet Labs, which is a big open source company as well. And it, it was kind of like along the, the lines and the topic of, you know, is it possible to, to basically monetize open source at scale? Like, it, you know, are there, are there a bunch of companies doing this? Do the models work? And also, you know, the sort of existential question of, um, you know, how do you capture value with open source software? Because it just creates so much value. And so um, I, I sort of jumped into that thread. Um, I've happened to, you know, be fortunate enough to know Derek and, and Luke for, for a little bit. And I was like, well, you know, there's actually quite a few companies. I've got a little spreadsheet I've been managing because there, there was a sort of like you know, pessimism or say maybe shall we say skepticism of, 
you know, there can't really be that many companies that have like figured this out, like maybe 10 or so. Right. And it's, I, the, it's, the, it's the eternal question of like, will there be, will there ever be another Red Hat and right. are they a unicorn or is there a way right. to build another business model that could grow to that size or something like that? Precisely, precisely. And so, um, and so I, I jumped into the thread and I was like, well, hey guys, I've got this spreadsheet. I'll just open source it. Um, and so I did that. I wrote a blog post, I think a week or two later. And I think at that point, the sheet had maybe 15 or so companies. Um, I want to say probably, probably a little bit less. And it was, um, it was about 30 or $40 billion worth of valuation there, um, not including Red Hat. Not including Red Hat, so I decided to leave Red Hat out initially. I've added I've added Red Hat since because the index is over a hundred billion dollars now. Criteria for the sheet, which is kind of the main anchor point um, to understand, is um, you can't you can't be listed on the sheet um, unless you're generating or are on sort of like a revenue run rate of a hundred million dollars or more. Um, and the reason I picked a hundred million, this is like the the level of revenue at least a few years ago. Um, that a company, a software company would need to reach in order to sort of have a, a high um, likelihood of, you know, going public with a degree of predictability around the revenue and, and a few other things. And that, that sort of informed the, um, uh, the, 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 the design of the sheet. And, and yeah, that's, that's kind of the origin story. And since then I've been managing um, and updating the sheet every month. I, I go and update the values. I add more companies um, and I have a bunch of different data sources for sort of how the sheets manage, like from Crunchbase, LinkedIn data, um, I Google around. I talk to different VCs. I, obviously, I talk to the founders of these companies. Um, and, and it's kind of an interesting space. And I, I've developed lots of opinions about the sheet, um, lots of different observations that you can draw from it. That, and that's the sort of or, origin behind writing this blog post, uh, blog, blog uh, series called Open Consensus. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, we will we will put the spreadsheet um, out in the show notes for folks. They can go take a look at it. Um, you know, if you happen to be listening to this and you're super interested right away, you can actually get to it if you go to oss.cash. So like open source software.cash is the uh, tiny URL that will redirect to it. So um, definitely a lot of really interesting data in there and, and stuff that, like you said, um, you kind of have to have a little bit of, of inside insight to sort of estimate what some of these numbers mean. And, and like you said, um, you've, you've done some things in terms of being able to just look at how many people they've hired, how long they've been in business and so forth that gives you good heuristics on where those things are going. Um, yeah. let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, beyond this, this index that you've been keeping, you've been, uh, up until, like you said, the last week or so, you've been sort of writing very vociferously about a bunch of different aspects of, you know, what is, what is commercialization of, open source software, open source projects look like. And one of the things that is one of the core articles you wrote about was this idea of, you know, what is open core? And I think if, if you've been around the industry for a while, there was kind of a belief that there's sort of one definition of open core. It's sort of, you know, you've got some, some open source and then you add some proprietary stuff and that becomes your business. And you really dig into it now that, like you said, we've had a lot of companies doing this. You really dig into it and you, you look at this from the perspective of almost like how thick is the core of that open core? Is it, is it thin? Is it, is it heavy? Um, and you go into a lot of details about different examples of companies that are, you know, at different stages or different parts of that spectrum. Talk a little bit about how you're thinking about open core or, or how it helps you kind of model what the industry looks like. 
Yeah, so this is a really big topic, and it's the second post that I wrote about on on the Open Consensus blog. The first one was just introducing the index, um, which, which again, for reference, if all of this is sounding too abstract for your listeners, it, it's sort of like an S&P 500 index, but for open source businesses, like commercial open source companies that are like the larger, more successful sort of quote-unquote blue chip ones. Um, interestingly, like from that index, from that spreadsheet, one of the really huge observations um, that I that I sort of um, uh, spelled out in the in the business model column um, was that oh this idea of open core like as a business model because open source is not a business model but there's different ways to commercialize open source you know support services training um, uh, open core is another business model and so what open core um, uh, looks like is in the context of that sheet. It's kind of the main business model, the main way that the, the, the majority of these companies actually commercialize a given open source project or, or in some cases multiple open source projects inside of one company. Um, and so I decided that the second post should actually reflect the importance of that observation and so, sort of break it down. Because the other realization was that, um, that, that I sort of saw, I guess, and I have seen in the industry for a while, that um, very few people kind of understand what open core means. Like, as you mentioned, Brian is sort of like a lot of people go and sort of look at it from a black and white kind of lens. And it's like, you know, you've got some proprietary thing around the open source and it's kind of like, you know, fake open source or, or, you know, you're real, you're, you're pure open source. And I think it's more new, it's more nuanced than that. Like most things in life, there's like this gray spectrum. Right. And so in that second post, what I basically did was like, okay, let's, let's just, you know, let's kind of lay down a definition of what does it really mean? And then give some examples. And what are the trade-offs between the spectrum of sort of implementation options? Um, And so basically I like lay out the, you, I mean, there's probably like 15 or 20, perhaps even more, like ways you can implement open core, like as a business model for, for an open source um, based um, company uh, or company based around an open source project uh, or projects. But I, I sort of broke down four ways of implementing open core from sort of a, a thin or a skinny end of one spectrum all the way to a thicker, um, really uh, uh, sort of dense end of the other spec, the other end of the spectrum. And, um, uh, what it basically means is like for, for, for a thin or a skinny, skinny crust, uh, and a, and a, and a really thick core, um, you know, what that would mean is like the, the core is, you know, the open source piece, like sort of the, 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 the nut, uh, or the, or the center of that circle is where all the open source code lives. Um, all the sort of, um, uh, you know, free to use, free, free to free to distribute, and and um, extend upon, and 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 so on. Um, open source software, but the, the crust, the sort of layer around that that sort of center, is where you sort of extend additional features or packaging, or or say forks, extensions. There's a bunch of different ways you can go and add um, proprietary intellectual property or, or, you know, sort of product, um, product level, uh, uh, sort of, um, uh, things around that, that open source core. Yep. And, and on one, on the other end of the spectrum, you can sort of get, uh, get a smaller and smaller core and a thicker and thicker crust. Right. Um, and so like the crust is like on the other end of the spectrum, say 90% closed source, but if the core 
the 10% of the core is just a tiny little core is open source, it still constitutes as an open core business model. And that's the sort of funda- way, fundamental way of, uh, the, I think, like the fundamental way of looking at it. And I, I really like challenged myself to find examples in each of these, um, it, you know, each of these implementation models. And they're not perfect. I mean, they're, they're right. probably they're going to change over time potentially, and they're sort of like prone to error and so on. But like, you know, you could say GitHub uh, or MuleSoft are sort of the, the thick um, open core model where there's like a thick crust. And on the skinny side of the spectrum, the opposite end, you might, you might say HashiCorp or, or Databricks are on the sort of like there's a very thin crust yeah. or skinny crust and mostly th- th- a very, very significant open source space because predominantly those companies are just adding, you know, minimal extensions or additional features or IP kind of around around the, the, the open source bits. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, the thing I would encourage people to do is I know there's there's people out there who want to make the argument, you know, you know, how open source are you? Are you 100% open source? And and I think right. the, the the thing to me that was really interesting, and, and this is, right, there isn't kind of one answer in there. Part of it was, you know, look, there's there's lots of people that have been successful or are growing success across right. the spectrum. But I think the other thing to, for people to, to kind of think about, especially if their initial thought is, well, I can think of an open core company that failed and therefore, you know, they're all going to fail is, Think about think about a couple of different things, right? Um, we deliver software in multiple ways now. It can still be packaged. It can st- you know it can come from the cloud as a like an IaaS type of service. It can be a SaaS type of service. Um, so there's that. There's you know are you selling thing? You know are are you involved with things where um, you know one company is kind of the the dictator of the open source project? Are lots of projects and you know lots of others involved? So you know there's kind of like how does the open source community work and how does that impact you know the the company who commercializes it or a bunch of them. And so there's a whole bunch of variables that I think are interesting for people to, to kind of consider because it, what it'll help them do is, um, you know, it may very well help them differentiate, you know, between a thinness or a thickness of core, but it may also give them some sense of like, oh, okay, that variable will have a stronger influence on something than this other variable. And, right. and I need to kind of compare and contrast them. So, you know, I, I like it as a framework. It's not overly complicated. It provides enough examples that you're like, okay, those are names I've heard of. But it also then sort of forces you to go like, okay, if something new comes along, you know, not only what category does it fit in, but like what are the the variables or the things that will influence it being in one or the other? And, you know, does it, does it you know, do those offer it a better chance for success or more likelihood right. of failure? So cool. And, and again, a lot of the things we're talking about today, we could probably go on entire shows about. I'm kind of highlighting some things because I want folks to to go read the stuff. I want, I want them to go read the blogs. And I think there's a lot of good thought-provoking things in there. Um, I want to switch topics a little bit. You know, to a certain extent, you've lived on the side of of, uh, of innovator, you know, startup and so forth. You've also, like you said, been uh, entrepreneur in residence. You sort of, you know, are amongst VCs. Um, you know, open source there are lots of projects, lots of them have gotten different velocities, but to a certain extent nowadays, um, you know, we see projects that gain a lot of velocity because um, there was some VC funding behind maybe the original company. Um, maybe there was VC funding behind the sort of second round of companies that got behind that. Um, ultimately, as a VC, you're looking um, you're looking to, to try and help companies that capture a lot of the value in a market. Um, you mentioned before, like, Open source creates a ton of value, but then the question is, who captures it? Um, right. Do you do you see any concern um, from from venture venture capitalists who are saying, you know, I don't know that I'm seeing enough exits. Maybe I'm seeing you know some acquisitions, but maybe there's not enough exits. I mean, do you feel like there's still 
um, you know, just general momentum, general good feelings from the, the venture capital community about continuing to invest in companies if they say their initial product is open source? Or do you feel like maybe they're, they're starting to get a little more sophisticated about, you know, what, what does that mean that open source is part of what you do versus how you're going to monetize it? A lot of questions in there. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, try, I'll try and parse some of them out. I think I, I think I understand your 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 top level one, which is, you know, how do, how does the venture capital industry sort of look at open source in terms of evaluating the opportunity and and how they sort of approach the uh, the overall like funding equation, right? And and like and how do companies um, actually form? Like you mentioned, how does value actually get captured? I, I actually want to make a few comments on that first. So this is a really, really huge, dense topic. Um, but the, I think it comes down to um, one of the fundamental truths about open source software in the context of like business building, which is a given open source project that has a high propensity for commercialization um, will always generate orders and orders of magnitude more value than anyone can capture. Right, and that is fundamentally different from proprietary software, from from closed source software of the last, you know, right, many many decades. And you know, open source is twenty years old now, but it's really had a huge upswing and in inflection over the last, really, last ten years, um, five to ten years. So um, w- one of the one of the really interesting things, though, as, as a as a kind of a reference point for companies that have actually started to see outcomes, because I think you've asked about this as well in, in your, you know, your multi-part uh, question there, was like, uh, where, where are the exits? Uh, are, there, are there companies that have actually um, you know, shown and proven that venture capital can sort of work in this category, if you want to call it a category? Right. Um, which I think is a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, you know, I think in this year, this year alone, we've actually seen quite a few of these outcomes. It's kind of interesting. So in this, in this spreadsheet, this index, uh, this cozy index, if you look at column I, so, uh, a, uh, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, I like interesting. Um, and you go to the bottom, uh, cell 37 right now, but it's probably going to change when, when there are more companies added, which there will be, uh, as of right now, there's $36.39 billion in outcomes. Uh, which is like when an IPO happens or a private equity event or merger or acquisition, right? Right. Interestingly, in the last six months alone, about 20, 20 billion, a little more than 20 billion of that um, uh, ha- ha- has happened. So like the you know, vast majority of that 36 billion, 20 billion of it is only six months old. And, and I can actually enumerate the uh, examples. So in January of this year, CoreOS was acquired by Red Hat for 250 million February, Alfresco was taken private by Thomas H. Lee, private equity firm, for $300 million. In March, but you'll notice a, a trend here. It's almost on a monthly basis. In March, Salesforce acquired MuleSoft for $6.5 billion. In April, Pivotal IPO'd at $4 billion. Now they're trading at $6 billion. In May, Adobe acquired Magento for $1.68 billion. In June, Microsoft acquired GitHub for $7.5 billion. In July, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Arm acquired Treasure Data for $600 million. And we're in August now. We're in the middle of August. And so if history is any indication of the future, which I think it, it is in, in, in a few cases, it uh, might not be here, but you know, if, 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 if it is, you know, we'll likely see another open source outcome potentially this month and then the months following. Um, and so I, I think to answer your question, like venture uh, as, as, a, as an industry has, has actually been 
pretty handsomely rewarded investing in this category. But I think it's really just been done, frankly, from the wrong sort of lens because um, a lot of these companies, in, 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 in some cases, I believe in many cases, um, were potentially overfunded where they, they took in a little bit more capital than they needed to because open source is actually uh, very, very efficient in terms of uh, a distribution model and the way you actually go and acquire customers. Right, right. You get to market like a bunch of different things that, that you know, really should reduce the cost of getting to scale and, and, and significant revenue in terms of like the venture uh, investments like required. But um, I, I do think it's an interesting area of, of investment and, and the, 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 the venture capital industry has definitely seen nice returns. Um, you can see in column C, ABC, uh, $7.2 billion has been poured into this com- commercial open source company index list of companies. And the outcomes are, you know, uh, 30, 36 billion so far. And, you know, majority of the companies are still private. So, I mean, it's probably, you know, 10 X, 15 X returns overall. Once all those companies go public or, or get acquired, um, I would say within the next two to three years, the ones on this sheet are all likely going to see outcomes probably percent of the most likely just based on the, the track, the sort of track record of the last 12 months or so. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And I, and I think the interesting, you know, as you dig into this, like you said, um, you know, you think about those different acquisitions, um, you know, they they range in, you know, there, there's variability in there. And I think that's that's an interesting aspect. You've got, like you said, things like CoreOS, which is, uh, you know, very much a, a technology and engineering acquisition. You've got things like MuleSoft, which, um, you know, could be its own standalone product. It could blend into Salesforce. You've got GitHub, which is entirely a SaaS offering. And, and you know, I think what you're, what you're sort of showing there, and if people dig into it is, um, you know, there isn't necessarily one way anymore that uh, you'll, you'll see an acquisition either happen, uh, the reason for, the, for how it happens, or, you know, how it eventually kind of matures into the thing that, that gets used by, let's say, the acquirer or, you know, in the case of Pivotal, uh, becomes an IPO and, and uh, you know, survives out in the public market uh, as a standalone company. So lots of different right. outcomes, which I think is, it's interesting, it, you know, folks, we're not a, uh, we're not a prediction show, you know, past, past performance does not uh, necessarily guarantee anything in the future, but, you know, it does give you some sense of, um, you know, what are the different how this is evolving um, over time. Well, let's do this. Uh, let me ask you one sort of last question because we're getting near the end here. Uh, you know, putting your putting your uh, your prediction hat on, looking at your crystal balls. Um, you know, there are some things that are sort of obvious in your models. Um, I think you're, like you said, you're beginning to see some trends. Um, what do you think are are some of the kind of truths, if you will, that that you've now uncovered? You know, things that you're like, I just that you can't doubt these types of things um, based on what you've seen over the last, you know, four years as it applies to, to open source commercialization, open source companies. That's a huge question, and and as much as I as much as I love playing Nostradamus, I'll 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 try and uh, be maybe a little bit more conservative um, and like things. Um, uh, I, I think I think that commercial open source is a really 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 big deal. I mean, I think it's kind of totally miss. Mis, uh, misunderstood, um, underappreciated, and and the fundamentals are 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 quite um, uh, are, are 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 quite unique. So, I think in the next sort of um, several years, 
one thing that will remain is, and that we've already sort of seen a lot of, open source is just going to continue to grow as a huge, huge movement. And, you know, we've seen the largest software company in the world, which is Microsoft, at the CEO level, Satya Nadella, board level, on down, make the biggest embrace in the history of the software industry uh, of open source ever with, with embracing Linux, with embracing open source developer ecosystems, with embracing, embracing Kubernetes, with acquiring GitHub, a um, bunch of things that really, in my mind, are just glaringly obvious signs that open source is the future of software. It's, it's really, and, and so, uh, you know, I don't mean to bring up the extremely polarizing cryptocurrency blockchain ecosystem, <laughs> but, you know, the reality is that entire ecosystem is based on open source software. You know, the Bitcoin paper came out, someone implemented it, probably this, uh, you know, uh, him, he, they, it, um, Satoshi Nakamoto entity implemented Bitcoin, I believe in C initially, and released the code uh, publicly and lots of collaboration happened and it was an open source movement, continues to be transparently governed to run in the public like an open source project. Uh, Ethereum is the same way, um, you know, and, and, and so these are open source ecosystems actually defining, changing, disrupting huge industries, financial services, cloud computing, enterprise software, infrastructure software, um, machine learning and artificial intelligence, kind of like all the big, huge technology categories of the next decade or two will be based on open source software as a lever for bringing new innovation to huge, huge um, uh, numbers of people on on earth, which is kind of an an amazing thing to see. I think even adjacent to that, uh, you know, one of the things that um, a a really good um, friend of mine and someone super smart told me uh, the other day, uh, actually I'll I'll, 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 uh, mention who who he is, I think it's a really profound comment, uh, Marco Palladino, uh, the, the founder and CTO of Kong, the um, uh, API gateway uh, uh, platform. Well, he said that open source software, you know, you can't really relegate it just to software. It, open source is something that will permeate everything. And, and, you know, I think one of the really great reference points of that is, you know, when Tesla actually open sourced the patents for, um, for their uh, you know, for their manufacturing operations and design and, and all the technology that goes into building the, 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 Tesla, the, the Tesla models. Um, you know, e- 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 Elon didn't think twice about saying, you know, hey, our, our value differentiation is not in owning these patents, but it's really in bringing this innovation to market at scale and executing. Um, and I think that that is really, really um, profound. And, and over time, open source software is going to, mean a lot more than just um, open sourcing software. It'll mean standard way of, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll equate to the standard way of building products and technology for the future. Um, I think two other things about the future in open source, which are very obvious to me, and I'm, I'm writing about um, two, two posts this week about this and hopefully another one, I'm able to get these out. Um, I think open source software completely eats cloud computing, and I think it also eats software as a service. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, cloud computing is this basically locked in proprietary ecosystem right now. Google Cloud is embracing open source, but I think there's still a lot of um, vendor lock-in dynamics there. I think open source completely disaggregates proprietary platform services. And then as for SaaS or software as a service, um, a little hint to this is if you look at um, 
a SaaS index equivalent of my uh, open source index. It's actually run by a VC firm called Bessemer Venture Partners. It's called the uh, BVP Cloud Index. And uh, they actually benchmark the top public software as a service companies like Salesforce and Workday and many others. I believe over time, uh, over 15 years probably, it'll take a little bit longer. Open source software eats all of those um, platforms as well. What, what I mean by eats is it, it sort of re, it reimagines what those platforms and products will look like with with uh, you know f- fundamentals based on open source projects and and sort of a, a new, new new designs kind of from the ground up. Distribution model, go to go to market models, kind of change. Um, and so I think like it's ultimately about like open source software eating the world as opposed to software eating the world. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we will also get the, uh, the Vesper Ventures Index in there as well for folks who want to kind of compare yeah. those things. Um, listen, with that, I'm, you know, we're going we're gonna to kind of wrap this up. Um, if folks want to reach out to you or kind of pick your brain on stuff or uh, you know, talk to you on, on Twitter or wherever, what's a, what's a good way for them to, uh, to reach out or connect? Oh, I'm really active on Twitter. I love Twitter. I've met some of the, some of the smartest and most cool, awesome people um, through Twitter. I think I met you through Twitter as well, Brian. So it's, it's just been an invaluable resource for me. I'm uh, AsyncIO on Twitter, A-S-Y-N-C-H-I-O. It's uh, short for asynchronous IO, not the Python library. <laughs> A lot of people uh, uh, you know, mis- mistake me for writing that library. I, I did not write it. Uh, you just DM me. My DMs are open or, 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 or shoot, me a, shoot me a tweet. All right. Very good. Folks, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Um, definitely go take a look at uh, JJ's blog, Open Consensus. Um, data-driven, data-driven perspective on open source software. We have the link in the show notes for you. Um, he's got a bunch of stuff that's, like he said, going to be coming out here. Uh, so after you get through those first five, six blog posts, your head's exploding, he'll have more for you very soon. So, JJ, with that, thank you as always for being on. Great to talk to you. And uh, folks, with that, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more podcasts, show notes, and everything social media. And visit acloud.guru for all your cloud training needs.